You learn this storytelling as a, as a theory, as as an academic path in in film school in film university. But then, when it touched for me the reality, the social issues, yeah, the political shifts. That's I think this combination of the two things made me become a journalist. Yasmina Benani is a busy woman. Like many journalists who've had to find their feet in the last decade of a turbulent media environment, myself included, she's a presenter, producer, editor, researcher, Facebook Live presenting multitasker. She does this all at AJ Plus Francais. Yasmina covers issues that would have branded her a snowflake only a few years ago. Racism, sexism, Islamophobia, fatphobia, cultural appropriation, intersectionality, Issues that are now taking up more and more space on the daily news agenda. But while many would argue that it's not enough, is it possible that the fringe is taking over the center? Or are our media echo chambers just intensifying? Welcome to Storyteller. I'm your host, Lisa Golden. On this episode, I speak with my former colleague and friend Yasmina Benani about covering controversial topics on the internet about how Black Lives Matter has influenced protests in France and sparked conversations about race in the Arab world and how she deals with her online trolls. Hi, Yasmina. Thank you so much for joining me on Storyteller. How are you doing? Hello, Lisa. I'm super happy to join you today. Really, really, really. Yeah, me too. Um, you're the first uh, friend I'm having on the podcast, so that's really exciting because um, it's great to be able to jump into a bit more about, like, I know you're so passionate about what you do and I love your enthusiasm for what you do. So it's nice that we've got some time to just, like, dig into it properly. Yeah, I'm really honored because it's true. We've been debating many times as friends. Uh, many, many times walking in Doha and in bars and in cafes and at work. Yeah. And now we do it uh, professionally, yes. kind of like adults. <laughs> so it's good. It's good. <laughs> like real grown up people. Exactly. Um, so for people listening, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself, about the job that you have now? Sure, sure, sure. So we'll just start with normal bio. <laughs> tell yeah, us who you perfect. are. So I'm a journalist. I'm a presenter for AJ+, Plus, uh, the social media platform of Al Jazeera. Uh, and I am on the French uh, platform of AJ+. Plus. I've been on the Arabic one, on the English one for a long time. And then I, I participated in the launch of the French one. And I am there. I'm a very um, polyvalent. I don't know if it exists in English, this word. But basically, I do many things. I'm a presenter. Uh, but I also worked on news uh, videos. I worked on... Uh, deployments i worked on instagram on different platforms different forms and um but always the same kind of content which is my biggest field of interest like you know lisa is is talking about um injustices like uh al jazeera's motto is the voice of the voiceless which is basically can sound a bit cliche but is really what we do so it's uh it's what i do at ha plus it's what we do at ha plus francais and uh it can be talking about yeah like foods we don't know or we 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 despise it can be talking about uh the roma people the travelers who are uh, suffering from the biggest prejudice in france or it can be about islamophobia which is more tackled or yeah basically the lgbtq community um 
the the first nations the refugees yeah. the people of color the women of color etc mm. etc et so yeah that's what i do in these stories great so yeah the the sort of people who don't normally get a a fair shake in the storytelling sort of wider slice of the pie although i think we're going to discuss this later it's good to see that that does seem to be changing a little bit um so can you tell me a little bit about what got you into journalism like where did this um fire and this um you know desire to seek out these stories where did that come from so you know it's funny because it was a very uh coincidence way it's it's it came in a fortunate way but it was not planned i'm not one of those people unfortunately, uh, but fortunately for journalism, uh, who planned their life. So I studied law. I had my master's in international business law in France. And then I was like, no, I want to be an actress. And then I played in some movies in France and Morocco. And then I was like, no, actually, I want to be the director because actress, like, you don't get to choose. So then I, I, I started to study film. And then I did my master's in film. It was more theory. You know, when in, in France you study film, it's not like in the US when you study film, like you never touch a camera. It's more like, oh, uh, let's study this uh, Japanese film from 1930. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, and I really, really got into it. And Nouvelle Vague and, uh, yeah, a Scandal in Cinema, which is really, really uh, problematic. But, yeah, uh, like I had this Italian professor... Uh, professor, sorry, specialized in Italian uh, scandalous uh, cinema, which would be, I think, very problematic to, for example, teach in the US. But yeah, all those those types of cinema studies. And I was studying documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, documentary, uh, like uh, Cinema Verité, like Jean Rouge says it, this, this big French documentary filmmaker. And, I, and, and reality started for me to be more interesting than fiction. Uh, uh, documentary started to be more interesting, you know, than, than scripting, though we, we uh, script documentaries and there is mise-en-scene in documentaries. Mm. And at the same time, politics uh, in the real real life started to become important in my life, you know, um, what we call the Arab Spring or the Arab Revolutions. Also, the injustices in my country uh, always uh, were important to me in Morocco, Um and and politics in France, and I was protesting, and I was becoming more and more aware of politics. It was not; it was a progressive, I would say, uh, path. Yeah, and I think yeah, you learn this storytelling as a, as a theory, uh, as as an academic uh, uh, path in in film school, in film university. But then, when it touched for me the reality, uh, the social issues, yeah, the political shifts. That's, I think, this combination of the two things made me become a journalist. It would be a few years into this journey into journalism that our paths would cross in Doha. We spoke about coming up in the world of international journalism that was rapidly changing, as TV had started adapting to a growing digital audience and the new challenges of social media. So tell me a little bit more about um, AJ Plus. I think today we are going to focus because it's obviously um, it's really big and it's got all the different languages. Um, but do you want to just tell us a bit more about AJ Plus? Um, fr- I don't know if I should say French or France or if I should try and wrangle my way through. Français. Français? <laughs> so embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I mean, how many, how, cute, cute, I know, how many languages do you speak? Just put all of us to shame. Just remind everyone that the rest of the world doesn't only speak oh, English. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I speak four and a half, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, Arabic, 
French, English, and Spanish. And I think when you left Doha, I started learning Chinese. Yeah. But I should practice more. Yeah. I should practice more. Yeah. But yeah, no, no. It's, uh, I would love to speak more languages. Uh, but uh, yeah, and th that happens to be the languages of AJ+. So it's cool because, yeah, uh, we have, like I said, AJ Plus Espanol based in Mexico. We have AJ Plus English uh, based in Washington, D.C. and in Doha. We have AJ Plus French here uh, and in France. And we have AJ Plus Arabi here. So it's great to see all the different uh, platforms, the different perspectives. And uh, yeah. And um, just for people who aren't in the media, just for an example, like what would an average kind of day look like for you in the office? An average day? Oh, that's the thing I like is that I don't have an average day, mm. honestly. Like there is no routine except when I'm on a particular kind of series, like the food series or the dating European guys series for the European elections. Or it's it's really like um, it doesn't look the same to me. That's what I think keeps me so passionate about my work is that. Uh, one day I can be working, uh, I mean, one month I'll be working on a very tough explainer, um, pitching it, developing it, interviewing researchers, reading about it and rereading about it, because that's the challenge of explainers is that you want to make it um, simple for the audience to grab and to understand, but you also want to give it the context, the depth, uh, you want the academic uh, prism You want to interview professors, you want to read books, tests, etc. So it's a very painful process uh, to, to do explainers because, yeah, you, you, you are doing not an academic word, but, but it's almost an academic work. Like you get you, you access such uh, sophisticated content made by researcher, researchers like, let's say, about intersectionality, white feminism, cultural appropriation. And because you want to comfort your 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 speech because you get so much hate from the trolls because uh, these topics can create so much hate so much resistance and then at the same time you want to make it uh, accessible for uh, a young a young and smart uh, audience that we have bringing important and complex issues to a younger generation online isn't the easy task many hoped it would be Ahead of the 2019 European elections, instead of dry political analysis of the various parties, Yasmina went on dates with different people across Europe. It's empathetic, funny, cheeky, and it breathes life into a topic that I know that most 20-somethings hadn't taken that much time to consider. Here's a quick taste. The European Union is a dictatorship. Multiculturalism has been a disaster. Do you think I could date a fascist guy? If it's a fascist like me, yes. Would you date me, for example? Absolutely. You're a beautiful smile. You're from another culture. So you're a fascist who is not racist? Absolutely. Of course. We have a huge problem with gypsies. What's wrong with gypsies? Oh, they're the worst thing in Italy. The shit of this place. Well, how can you say you're not racist, Giuliano, and say you hate gypsies? Can you tell me a bit about the dating series? I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, the, the dating series, that was, um, like I said, I'm really happy because I'm given the opportunity to do all these stories I like. Like I, I, I pitched it to my boss and I was like, European elections are coming up and uh, it's not sexy. Like people don't care. It's when you say European elections, like no one will watch it. And it was not something to attract clicks or anything, but it was like, Okay, uh, how about I go date all these guys 
from different uh, uh, political backgrounds and from different countries and talk about Brexiters in Brexit and talk about uh, uh, climate change in Berlin and talk about, uh, yeah, fascism in Italy. And it was great. It was honestly, I think, one of the most inter interesting field work I've been on. Really, really, really. That's yeah. What, uh, yeah, I thought it was great. I think it's, again, like if we talk about like storytelling that is like young people aren't interested in the european elections they they just aren't i mean we can try slice it any other way but um i think i thought that was just a really fun way obviously you have like the right personality for it as well that's fun but again just i think finding these new ways of like telling stories that are more appealing to younger people that can still um pique some curiosity and then people like will go google afterwards or something someone will say something that you know it's not that you go then agree with like the other person but just gives you an opportunity to maybe hear someone's voice that you wouldn't normally have heard totally totally honestly did it you was... have did you have a did you have a favorite from that series <laughs> oh my god i didn't know like it was amazing honestly the greek uh the greek guys were extremely touching because we didn't expect uh their their you know their despair and um the way they talked about you know like this mm -hmm. guy who told me you know, I can't even bring a girl to a date. We don't have the money for that. I was like, wow, you know, I can't even get my mom to dinner or for, for Mother's Day. So it was really, really touching. And even and even the, 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 the I'm not going to say far right people were touching, but what I want to say, what what I try to do on this series is to, to listen to people without judging them. And you know what the media did mm -hmm. uh, uh, with with Trump and with uh, with Marine Le Pen is something that is also we that is also reproached to us uh, the media that we are accused of doing is is to you know look down upon the people who vote for them and be like oh my god uh, those those peasants you know who vote for Trump and Marine Le Pen and and the Brexit people like the way the media because the media we think we are the best you know we are progressive and super smart and we are not racist and we are amazing and then the fact to go and sit with these far right people and who don't call themselves far right by the way so it's i should be careful also with the expression because who am i to call them far right and sit with them and them talking to me about why they voted brexit and this guy who's a child of an immigrant telling me there are too many immigrants in the uk you know and i tried to understand yeah. him and i tried i hope I, I i it was good but i was proud to do that because it's hard to sit with people who are not um mainstream and who don't you know re uh, fulfill this 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 bias that we have at the media you know we would never yeah. interview someone like on the lives videos for example i don't do that and yeah for me the most interesting were the guys who i didn't agree with or yeah the greek guys or the environment uh, um activist in berlin he was he was crazy passionate about the the, the earth and about us and our future it was very mm. very very interesting yeah, I think you've touched on something really important there that I'm sort of still trying to get my head around. And this is all to say that, like, I definitely don't know what the right way of telling these stories, because, I mean, I was I would say I know that I had heard the counter argument of saying, like, you don't want to give certain people platforms and, you know, amplify certain voices. But I had a really strong feeling, especially um, earlier this year when um, the UK officially left um the EU mm. I just I I just I mean I've been basically in the UK the for the majority of sort of the the post-Brexit vote and 
I did have this really strong sense last year, being an outsider, not being from the UK, that I was like being at all these rallies and seeing all these people. And I just really had the strong thought that calling these people stupid for four years has not been a good tactic. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like that it hasn't healed anything. And if anything, it's only ramped up um the animosity between the certain groups. So I find that really interesting because I think maybe at the beginning of all this sort of Trump and Brexit and all this sort of stuff, we would have said, Oh, we don't, you know, don't let these people, you know, have access to your platform, don't let them um be able to access your audience. And I'm sort of now thinking, I don't know what the right way of doing it is, but that definitely hasn't worked out for us, has it exactly? Totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be yeah. Because then they don't trust the media. They create alternative media. That's how conspiracy theories thrive. And no, we should, we should. But but I agree with you. I have the same dilemma. Like, do you give platform to people who who are uh, openly racist, you know, who say I'm not racist, but in the same sentence say something racist? Would yeah. you, you have a responsibility, you know? Yeah. It's not like it's it's your personal Facebook. You, you, there is a, there are millions of people following what you do. So you have a responsibility. Yeah. And you're right. We have to be, to be careful with that. I shared my concerns with Yasmina about maintaining momentum and traction for Black Lives Matter, and she shared her thoughts on the widespread impact the latest iteration of the movement has made, both in France and the Arab world. So I would be just interested to say, see over the last three years, you know, a lot of the issues that you cover around racism, Islamophobia, Black Lives Matter, you know, marginalized voices have become, are, are gaining more power. Um, I think let's start with it. Have you seen a change in the response to the reporting that you've done? Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, to start with Black Lives Matter, totally. The, the, the first protests, I think they were in 2013. But yeah, then it developed more and they, they was, there was Trevor Martin. And then after every, every, um, every new victim, we, we heard about it again. At that time, the images I saw on the media was uh, a few uh, minority uh, black people um, protesting in the U.S., uh, in, in dark uh, corners of the U.S. Uh, and and uh, it, it looked underground, it looked... Uh, far it looked different you know um, mm. like a fringe thing like you said and then when we talk about today uh, George Floyd it's completely different when you see uh, I think it really is different I, I, I hope you your fear that it's just a temporary movement is uh, which is my fear too I, I hope it's it's wrong because we will be wrong on that because I feel like uh, you know, it sparked so many debates, Lisa. Even, for example, mm. in in we are questioning anti-black racism within the Arab community. There have been Arab influencers giving their platforms on Instagram to Arab black influencers to talk about racism in our communities. There have been talks about uh, racism in North Africa, racism in Indian communities, racism in Turkey, racism in Korea. I think we've never heard that before. Yeah. There, there is an awakening. Uh, like that is crazy, mm -hmm. and and uh, yeah, I mean, from the French perspective, uh, what's interesting is that the media in France are very comfortable um, talking about uh, police brutality in the U.S. Uh, using the word "a black man was killed by a white policeman" uh, for the U.S., uh, saying there is police violence, saying there is systemic racism. 
But then when it comes to France police brutality, there is this taboo. And we have this mm-hmm. man who is called Adama Traoré, who died in 2016, saying the exact same words as George Floyd when he died. I can't breathe. Je ne peux pas respirer. Je ne peux pas respirer. Je ne peux pas respirer. He said it three times and he died, you know, and he was killed by the police and he was a 24 black man. And uh, until today, his sister, Asa Traoré, and the, and the committee fighting for, for his memory and for justice to be done, je, uh, Comité pour Adama, has been protesting and there has been, um, been huge, huge um, uh, protests on the 2nd of June as soon as they opened the le- lockdown. And it was for George Floyd and for Adama Traoré. And it was insane, Lisa, like hundreds mm. of thousands People were saying, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. But the French media, you'd always have commentators saying, uh, but we can't compare that to the US. No, 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 no. No, we can't compare that to the US. In the US, it's far more violent. There is racism. Here we are fine. Uh, they had slavery on their on their land. So we didn't have slavery on our land. So like, like. It was crazy. I've I've done a, a live about that, and and yeah, there is this taboo that that French France doesn't want to see, doesn't want to face its racism. I found it really interesting, sort of knowledge around colonialism in the UK, and I mean people are are aware, but not to the extent that I I I think I realized when I got here that people had a view of British colonialism in some quarters as a sort of quite a nice thing that they went and they built the roads and they built the infrastructure and then they kind of left of their own volition. Really, <laughs> which is, I mean, sometimes I think people they don't kind of. Yeah, you know, there's there's a obviously just like a whitewashing of history and and how you understand things and and to be to be fair to most people, I think if that's what you've been told and you've never really challenged that, you know what I mean? I don't think it's coming from a malicious place, but um, I'd be quite curious: are, are the French sort of do they talk about their colonial past a lot in Africa, or is there a lot of awareness around it? Not at all, not at all, and that is the problem. The problem is the teaching about history, exactly like you said. France mm. just wants to have this glorious history of this beautiful country, uh, you know, the, the country of human rights, uh, the country of, of the enlightenment, you know, the, the philosophe des lumières, the, the philosophers of the, of the light, literally, enlightenment, you know, and there is mm. this, this, this image of this history that you cannot touch. And the president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, said it himself uh, in his speech on the 14th of June. He said, we will not take down statues. We will not uh, erase our history. And people who are protesting racism are separatists. Mm. And and he was like, okay, racism is bad. We have to fight against it. Because there was this, this you know momentum around police brutality and talking about that. And he said... Yeah, we have to fight about uh, against it. But when some separatists take this this um, this fight, when communitarists take this fight and rewrite the past, uh, it's wrong. And and the fact this just sums you, uh, Lisa, the, the 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 debate about racism in the French in the French media. Like like mm. let's not fight racism. Let's let's just all say okay, it's a bad thing. Boo, uh, bad racist, but let's all just hold hands. We are the same. There is no color. It's still a very colorblind society. When you use the word, like what I was saying to you, uh, for the French media, it's easy to say George Floyd was black. Uh, the policeman who killed him was white. But today in France, uh, in a French-French uh, story, 
it's very hard just to use the word white white still hurts people like when you say white mm. in france about a white person it's offensive interesting okay yeah. it's, it's starting to change uh there are more and more uh Uh, talks about about wokeness about uh anti-racism there are more and more interesting uh people who are invited on debates etc but you have mainstream commentators left-wing uh, ju uh, journalists uh huge uh followed personalities who are like no 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 we can't talk about that mm -hmm. again there is a young sphere Uh, that is tackling those issues and it's growing and it's gaining momentum and on social media it's huge because black French Twitter follows black American Twitter you know for example yeah. so, so social media is kind of, of challenging and, and overtaking uh, the, the, the intellectual debate which doesn't want to move on Um, it's really interesting what you say about the whiteness, because obviously being um, South African and there's it, been a really interesting element of this for me because it's, um, you know, conversations that are still very much ongoing in South Africa. Um, but that awkwardness about being called white is definitely something I encountered um, a while ago in South Africa. And it's really funny because it's it, people are uncomfortable at being othered. They've lived in the center for so long that they're mm. suddenly being called white they're realizing what it means to have a label put on them and then they're like nope i don't like that you know that's you know it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really interesting in a media world where a certain new york times cook was creating a stir with hashtag the stew yasmina was digging into food politics from couscous to kebabs she pulled at the tendrils of ownership belonging and who gets to decide what culture is Uh, let's talk about la dal. Am I saying that properly? The food. Ah. <laughs> la dal. La dal. You have to push on the D. On the D. It's angry. La dal. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> can you tell me? I think again, that's a really um, an interesting way of storytelling. That I know. Um, you know, uh, I, AJ Plus is not unique in this field. I don't want to pretend that they are, but I think the the angle that you've gone through and, and what you're covering is just so interesting. So could you tell me a little bit about it and um, a little bit about your favorite uh, couscous episode? Yeah, with pleasure. La Dalle, so La Dalle was, uh, uh, again, like the dates uh, uh, in Europe, it was an idea uh, to, to explore a new, a new field. Uh, I'm a very bad cook. I'm not a, a I'm not a food person like as I mean like they are food people or people who Instagram food very well or talk about food very well I'm not but uh, I see politics in everything and uh, I think there is politics in everything and uh, I was thinking um, I know it's not original at all like you said not only AJ Plus does that everyone does that but uh, it was to see food through a political uh, spectrum. And in France, it's interesting because the, the favorite dish of French people is couscous, this North African dish. Uh, and then there was uh, the kebab, uh, the, the episode. Yeah. So we talked about kebab, which is basically, if you want, the donor kebab, the sandwich that everyone eats after going, leaving the club. Uh, you know, when you're a poor student at lunch, when, when you just want to chill, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's so urban. It's in rap music. It's, uh, it's the French sandwich. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, Serbian uh, rap, uh, far right Serbian rap has songs about kebabs, like, like, uh, 
uh, death to the kebab. Oh, really? <laughs> and and, uh, and Ber- in Berlin, yeah, 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 uh, in, in protests for refugees, people say, protect our kebabs, kebabs are welcome. <laughs> Kebab became this sort of embodiment of the other, of the Arab, the Muslim, the boo, you know, like scary. Mm. And so it's really funny because on the episode of Kebab, we went to with, with kebabs to this far-right protest. Okay, it's a bit provocative and a bit like uh, trying to be like vice or anything, but mm. it was very interesting, the interactions I had with people. So it, it was the idea to show how French it is, how diverse historically it is, and at the same time, uh, show why it's hated and what does it represent to the, to the far right people. Yeah. Um, yeah, my favorite episode so far is the couscous, the African, sub-Saharan African couscous, uh, which is basically couscous, but not from where I come from, Morocco, hmm. uh, but couscous from uh, Senegal, Mali, Mauritania, Cameroon, etc. So basically, I had this idea in September because Senegal won the World Cup of Couscous, a sort of like festival in Sicily okay. of Couscous. And yeah, and people were like, uh, and North Africans were reacting very, very uh, aggressively, you know, to that. What? What's your connection to Couscous? Like, get out of here. And so we were, we, we were like, no, we have to tackle this story. Because already I did a story once, uh, an explainer about where does couscous really come from, mm. just about North African countries, and it got huge engagement and huge reactions. And now uh, the idea was to say, we, you guys have been arguing between Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, Mauritania. No, we're going to take you to the other side of the Sahara and show you there is an extremely tasty couscous and diverse and healthy. And it was a way for me, uh, more, more than that, um, to show how beautiful and how gourmet and how refined sub-Saharan African cuisine can be yeah. and, and very rich. Because in France, you say you want to eat African, quote-unquote, and people know three dishes, mafé and yassa and teboudienne. And that's it. Mm. And then uh, there's so much yeah. more, you yeah. know. I love it. I think it's the same, you know, what drives most of us. It's just that curiosity and that sense of fun and just to dig more into something and find out, like, challenge a story that's been told. Even, like you said, even if it's about food, there's it shows so much. It shows power. It shows storytelling. It shows who gets to decide what's tasteful or healthy. You know, I think it's great. It's a good one. Yeah. When one dares to be a woman online with a voice, you are forced to deal with trolls. They have scared women offline, they've harassed journalists to the extent that some have chosen to leave social media platforms to protect their own mental health. But Yasmina, at least for now, is having her own fun with her trolls. I wanted to talk about the, 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 I realized I was trying to say it in French, but it's the fat phobia video. But how do you say oh, it? In, how yeah. do you say it in French? Like grossophobia. Oh my gosh. Yeah, grossophobie because uh, gros means fat, fat. in French. Oh, okay. So grossophobie. Yeah. I just thought I wondered. Like, I, the only reason I wanted to bring it up, so for people listening, I mean, you, I'll let you explain it. But I just loved it because it made me laugh, and it just was so you. And I think it speaks a lot to what it means to be. Um, a woman online, just being a public persona online, dealing with trolls. And I just, it was so you. I love the way you dealt with it. I was just like, yes, like you came out punching and I loved it. So <laughs> can you just tell us um, a bit about the fat phobia video? 
Thank you, Lisa. Thank you. Uh, first about trolls, I love trolls. I love <laughs> trolls. Like my trolls are really nice. Uh, they are. Mm. I mean, I'm not gonna say nice. I, I am cool, so I find them nice. But they really like. They, I'm. I'm so uh, naive, and I realize it. Like they, you know, they pitch me stories. They'll go on my DMs and and tell me, Yasmina, you know. I'm I'm trans and I'm fat and I'm and I'm uh, eating too many cheeseburgers at McDonald's where I work so I'm harassed by my boss. Would you do a story on me? And then I'm like sure. And then they screenshot it and everyone laughs at me in their far right troll circle. You know what I mean? Because they're like I'm the I'm the naive journalist, you know, who like jump on yeah. any racism, fat phobia, uh, LGBT phobia story. So yeah, mm. that's about the trolls. Uh, but yeah, fat phobia story, uh, 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 what is it? So basically, yeah, like you said, being a woman online, uh, exposes you to a lot of comments about your looks. So mm. yeah, people can comment about, uh, uh, how beautiful you are and that's, and that's pleasant, even though it's not the topic. So you're not expecting people to say that, but, uh, there are people who tell you you're fat. And the problem is that I'm not actually fat. I even if I was fat, that would be fine. But the problem is that even I felt a bit um, uh, not legitimate uh, for yeah. f- uh, compared to fat women to do that video about fat shaming. You know what I mean? Like it's even indecent because we are, uh, okay, I'm overweight or whatever you want to call it, curvy, I like to say. <laughs> but uh, like, you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not suffering discrimination uh, at the doctors or in a, in a plane or in my work because of that, you know? So yeah, the yeah. fact to do a, a video on fat phobia while not being fat is problematic. And that's a disclaimer uh, to actual, actual fat people. I think it's, it's really, really crazy. But um, this story is because, yeah, I received so many comments on my weight and people would be like oh stop eating so many at tacos lucum kfc <laughs> mcdonald's <laughs> i had so just many it was like the perfect i mean you were like the woman who who you made the ultimate crime of eating publicly so you were you were screwed from from minute one <laughs> if there was any footage of you eating oh. online you're done <laughs> it's gonna totally. be a problem totally yeah, yeah but have you always have you always just been happy to fight like I'm always curious because I am so I can be so like shy and deferential and everything and it always amazes me when people are um so confident but do you think that's just your personality or how you grew up or where do you think that comes from ah to fight back to to, yeah uh, I think I've always been like that yeah I've always been like that I've always had you know like good marks at school (laughs) but I would always have a bad um a remark about my behavior yeah <laughs> because i talk too much i love too much i answer to teachers like and that's something that's that can uh stop you in life sometimes like you won't get opportunities at work because you're not political enough or or in life uh in some circles because you open your mouth too much or you're mm. too argumentative quote unquote or too uh, uh angry but that's me you know me this yeah. person like i can't shut up yeah but in the in the positive in the positive way it's it takes you to good places because it takes you to where you're comfortable yeah so yeah. 
if you if you you make your space comfortable so i think that's uh, and i encourage everyone to do the same yeah you know yeah so if it, if it, if it means anything i was i was always told that i um i when i was younger i was told that i talked too much and then it made me very shy and very self-conscious and now i have a podcast where i can just talk all the time so there you go <laughs> you gotta just Bravo, yeah. Bravo. you gotta just turn it around exactly <laughs> for, so just on for for closing um i'd be really curious to just know from your perspective um you know both as a woman in the media as a you know a producer at aj plus and just a human in the world at the moment like how are you feeling about the future like where do you think the next best exciting stories are coming from like what what's what's on your radar at the moment oh my god so many things so many things like what what excites me as in um what i find amazing lisa is the 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 change you know like uh, i feel like i i feel like it's it's changing super fast i was doing a live video with the, with a feminist uh, activist caroline duas and she was about about domestic violence in uh, in lockdown mm. and she was telling me um and i was like it's crazy because the numbers have, have risen everywhere in france in china everywhere uh, women have been uh, suffering more abuse because of the lockdown and she's like yeah but she's so optimistic like she's a model to me she was like yeah but yasmina we would never have had this this life a few years ago yeah today so many young women she works with so many young girls she work she works with don't take anything you know they are super um uh, open super loud super uh, uh so i don't know if, if like for me what excites me i would say is that like the pace with which with which things are changing yeah. this, this 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 like how george floyd happened and so many knots uh, opened in all over the world like in Morocco now we're talking about racism against black uh, Moroccans and and black immigrants who, who tried to cross to Europe you know mm. like how this how one ish, one death one unfortunate murder and racist murder opened uh, opened so many uh, uh, nuts all over the world and that's what fascinates me like how all these things are are, are changing um, one thing I'm following also from close is, is the Uyghurs. Because I think, uh, and that's also a positive thing. We are talking more and more about the Uyghurs and no one was talking about them. Mm. And we are, we are noticing a genocide in front of our eyes. We have proofs uh, by the China tribunal, by Vice, by so many researchers, so many experts that, that organs are being taken from Uyghurs. And not only, not only Uyghurs, also Falun Gong, also Buddhists, Christians, etc. And, and this is happening in front of our eyes and no one is confronting China about that. So this also matters to me. I feel like it's, it's moving. People are talking, people are debating, people are, are hurting and it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's, it's, it feels, it, it feels very much like being in a, like in a washing machine, you know what I mean? But it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's in, in a good way. You know what I mean? There's always um in, in this level of um chaos and, confusion and despair there's always we have to at some point rebuild the world again when it does resettle and I think the chances of that being more diverse and more inclusive are greater than they've ever been in in history before and that's sort of that's sort of what gives me hope when I when I have you know those bad pandemic days when you're just like oh my god what is happening <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's my positive spin on it on the good days 
Yeah, you have to have this hope because I think we have to have it. It's it's totally positive. It's it's amazing. The the people are talking social media is is a, is a is a tool of power like it was never before. Uh it 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 affects it affects uh politics, it affects uh people's lives cancel culture can be cruel but it also can help uh things change you know uh yeah for me you know i love this thing and i think it's cruel in a bit and and i always debate about that with with my very good french friend emma she hates justice made by social media but i mm-hmm. and, and would like all the injustices to be to be solved in front of a, of a court with the lawyer and the judge but unfortunately this doesn't happen because the world isn't fair but now social media is making it yeah. fair And it can be fair. And the Uyghur activists told me that thanks to social media, thanks to Instagram, Adidas and Lacoste promised not to be involved with the, with the brands that are connected to, to forced, uh, slave, forced labor in, with the Uyghurs in China. So can you mm. believe it? Mm. Just thanks to Instagram. Yeah, so it's actually changing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so uh, that's not only a platform, you know, for Kim Kardashian. It's also, I mean, who is also doing <laughs> great things, by the way, by, by uh, with the, with the prisoners yeah. and, and everything so we can judge her i know when i saw she was like getting a podcast i sort of had i mean which i think a lot of people i was like oh boy and then when i saw it was going to be about prison reform i was like well there you go use that platform. wow see yeah yeah see? That's good. <laughs> um okay my love thank you so much for coming on a big part of this podcast is i you know quite often you only speak to people when they've got something new out and you know you try pin it on something that is coming out that week um and i think we all do a lot of work that still stands and is worth going back and watching so i also um i'll put some stuff in show notes so that people can go look at some of your series cuz um a they're just lots of fun and yeah you can learn something and you can learn something in english and you can learn something in french <laughs> you can learn something <laughs> in one of your many languages <laughs> um so yeah thank you Bella. thank you so much for coming on thank you lisa for having me it was a pleasure i hope i didn't talk too much no, no. <laughs> we, we can talk all we want now that's the joy that's the joy <laughs> thanks again to Yasmina for sharing her stories and infectious laugh with me this conversation reminded me of the lively debates we used to have and reminded me to keep having them without fear but also with renewed compassion and empathy It was also a stark reminder of how much the world has already changed in the four years since we were last living in the same place. Storyteller is made by me, Lisa Golden, with help from my producer, Kathy Swan. Thank you so much for all the support we received on launch last week. It's been really exciting to finally have this podcast live and out in the world. Thank you to everyone who rated and reviewed the podcast. It really makes a difference for people outside of our social networks to find us. So if you haven't had a chance yet, please do rate and review. You can find us on Instagram at Storyteller underscore pod and on Twitter at Storyteller pod one. Um, I'm sharing the episodes there, but I'm also going to use those platforms to share excellent examples of storytelling that I see throughout the week. So uh, if you've got a curious mind, just pop on over there and I hope I can make those feeds fun and exciting for you. You can email me at storytellerpod at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and any suggestions for any storytellers you would like to hear on the show. Until next time.